to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. For many, many years, I have been saying to all the listeners throughout the world, we're syndicated, that water is in a, fresh water is at a crisis. We only have 1% of all the water on earth can be used for mankind to use, to grow your agriculture, uh, to have all the reasons that you need your fresh water. And I'm going to be saying this from the moment of the show to eternity, is that you need to be reminded what happened here. We forgot about the water how vital it is to everyday life. The diseases that we have today are, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I look at it in research, I'm in a research and I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center for over 25 years and we study fresh water and the atmosphere's water vapor and the dehydration effect of human life, body water loss, evaporation, and the planet. Body, water, body, the planet's water loss. And we try to correlate the fact of what is happening for them to respond to each other, the, the atmosphere and your water loss, you personally as an individual. And I'm going to remind you, because the body you're carrying there is your own orbit, your own planet, it's water. It's over 80% water in trillions of cells in in molecules water in the cells and when that water when you're born and you came from the pocket of water of the mother in fact I'm going to announce I just had another great grandchild this last uh, Saturday or Friday and that baby came from a pocket of water into that delivery room and when that new little baby Reese Monroe was born she had no more, she wasn't, didn't have the water around her anymore. She's living in the atmosphere's water vapor, in that delivery room, in that room. And we all are living with that water around us as an invisible water vapor, but it's there. It has to be or you wouldn't be alive. And because your body is made up of water, being the brain 80 to 85% water, your teeth are 8 to 10% water, lungs to 75 to 80% water, your kidneys, your heart, your bones, your muscles, your liver, all of the water that's in your body, in the skin 80 to 90, and the surface of your eyes, 99% water. Look at what what, the, what you have, the challenges you have to live every day to be healthy. You must drink to 8 to 10 glasses of water a day within a 24-hour period. It's vital. You don't sip it. You drink it. It's like I've said, to, would you go water your plant, a little sip it here and a little sip there? No. You've got to drink your water all at once, each glass. That way the water has an opportunity to absorb and make a decision. But outside the body, the water vapor is what's detoxifying you, keeping you flexible, and keeping your body uh, uh, where the pores are open. 
If it's too cold outside, the skin tightens and the pores are closed. That's why viruses are more common during the colder climate. If it's too much humidity and it's too hot, it'll go the other way. You'll become like a sieve. You won't be able to absorb the water to maintain it from the outside and the water vapor and the air, and, and, and the body won't be able to maintain what it's trying to absorb and the water you're drinking. So you have to learn how you personally can maintain your water balance. It's vital. It's your life. But if the planet is going through it too. Look out your window and see what the planet is going through because our life on this planet, human life, did not learn yet how to protect the fresh water for all life on Earth for eternity. We have a situation. That's why this radio show is so important. We must be reminded that these diseases are called, I call them dehydrated diseases. They're getting out of control. And if you read any of the news over the weekend or hit any of the reports with the vaccines and what is happening with the measles and what's happening with viruses and the global problems with Ebola, and I could go on and on, we not only have 5,000 children dying a day because they don't have adequate water access, but we're having people every day dying because of the diseases that are out of control because our atmosphere has changed and we're dehydrating too quickly. Our evaporation of water in the body and the skin is out of control. The water vapor in the air is not as healthy as it once was. You must drink 8 to 10 glasses of water a day, and you must eat the proper food. It's very important that you don't overdo sugar because sugar will dehydrate you profusely and cause a toxin, carbohydrates. It's, it's like a manure in the body. The problems, and it causes addiction. It causes flu. It causes allergies. It causes, you name it, it's there. It causes a lot of problems. All of the problems we're having with blindness today. Then we heard about the inoculations of, of vaccines. There are up to 69 of them. How do we know which one will not dehydrate the individual with the, uh, being inoculated? Average children today are having 13 of them. There's something not right here. We need to think this out. And we all need to be reminded, though. It has to be studied. You need to also be responsible and study. I would say this to everyone out there listening. Take responsibility for your own personal outlook and decisions. Don't blame somebody else for everything. Learn. Study. If you're on the Internet, study it. If you've got a question, go grab a book. Study it. Evaluate who's right, who's wrong, or where do they all agree, and where maybe you found something they are not all right about. It needs to be studied. You need to take responsibility. Everyone does. And don't blame. React to what you think you need to learn. And if you don't know it, don't say you know it and don't try to fake it. We're having a lot of people today say they know something when they really don't know it. They never really studied it. How does a person study anything? 
You grab a book, or you go on the Internet, and you write it down. You don't just read it. That isn't studying. Studying is writing it down as you go. Take some notes, evaluate, go back and take it, do an analysis, go back and evaluate, and study what you think you need to learn. And what is important, open-mindedly, objectively, of what you're learning, not just because you think it should be another way. You've got to be objective of what you need to study. But water is your primary focus of all life on earth for you and everybody else to live, fresh water. With research this week, go over to the drought, 2015 earth drought, what is happening? What's the app? Type in. How is the drought for 2015? Go over to what is happening to the, with the water crisis throughout the world. Type in children and water access and children dying. Type in dehydration and diseases. Type in nutrition and dehydration diseases. Enjoy your research because it will teach you a lot about what you need to learn to be a healthier person. And I call this the Health Olympics. Everybody should be in the Health Olympics to try to be a healthier person because if you're healthy, you'll be a healthy person around other healthy people. I want to mention today we have our guest, Robert Weir, who is a writer, author, and he's a speaker he is from Lakeview, Michigan. He's the author who we've had on several times, and he's written the Earth Day, a book about the founder, and we'll discuss who is the founder of Earth Day and the controversies of which day is Earth Day, and uh, then he's going to tell us about his new book, Reclaiming Lives. This will be a very good show. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Mist with Just a Mist, Did you know that the surface of your eyes is 99% water? You need to learn how to mist to supplement the eyes. We'll We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Robert Weir. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, are you with us? Hello, Sharon. Yes, I am. 
Well, I'm glad you could take time. I know how busy you've been to be with us today. And uh, let's introduce you to the world. It's Robert Weir. He's a writer, author, and a speaker. And tell us about your past and how we met. Uh, You've been on the show before and the books you've written. And we'll talk about your new book, Reclaiming Life. Well, thank you, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be talking with you and your listeners again this morning. We've uh, had several conversations, might be about a dozen by now, uh, uh, on your radio program, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And, um, oh gosh, we met through our conversations regarding John McConnell, I believe, the man who Mm -hmm. founded the original Earth Day, which is on the spring equinox, uh, not April 22, as many people believe. And uh, we've talked about John, uh, that was one of the, the books, that, his biography is one of the books that I've written. Uh, the title of that is Peace, Justice, Care of Earth, which uh, oh, it tells about John's uh, belief and his vision that we need all three of those uh, elements working together. Peace through understanding, justice as an equitable sharing of all of the world's resources, and both of those are really the prerequisites to environmental care, including the care of water, of course. And uh, I've written some other books. Uh, A Brain Tumor was a a memoir, a medical memoir about a tumor that was taken out of my cranium, uh, oh gosh, about 20-some years ago now. I've written a book of short stories, and I've written a book uh, about the care of the aging in regard uh, specifically to my dad and I, and where he and I shared uh, five years of his life together as he was uh, aging and um, becoming uh, unable to take care of himself, and uh, turned out to be fantastic five years, and the title of that book is simply Dad, and people can find all of these books online at Amazon.com or uh, through my website, which is Robert M. M is in Martin Weir, Robert M. Weir.com. And gosh, it's just just a pleasure okay. to be able to share this information with you and your listeners. So, here. all of your adult life, all of your life, you've been right a writer. Did you ever do anything else before you were became a full time writer? I've always worked in communications, uh, and uh, that included some other spells where writing was involved, but not necessarily full-time. I worked in, uh, well, my degree is in broadcast communications from Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And even before I graduated, I worked as a, at a radio station as a news reporter. Then I worked for a television station in Topeka, Kansas, an NBC mm-hmm. affiliate station, and and then I worked in the school yearbook business for a company uh-huh. called Herf, Herf so Jones. So you've seen a lot of changes in the last year yeah. uh, in communication. The combination of radio, television, and print uh, communications have all been a part of my professional life. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of traveling. Tell the audience about yeah. your travels to write books, too. Oh. Uh, Thank you. I, I, I enjoy traveling. I, again, it relates to the concept of peace through understanding. 
I think that when we get out of our country, out of our regional areas, wherever we live, and this is true of anybody in any part of the world, when we travel to other countries and experience other cultures, other religions, faith groups, uh, ways of being, ways of thinking, ways of earning a living, ways of existing, then we better understand our fellow brothers and sisters here on planet Earth. And uh, regardless of what uh, major media or governments might try to tell us about how bad and evil other people are, I've just experienced that by traveling and existing and living in the homes of people in other countries that, yeah, there's some folks who I might not want to hang around with, but by gosh, there's a whole lot more people who I think are wonderful and so much like me, so much like other people I know in the United States, that we truly are global citizens of the world. And, and that's the main message I've gotten from my travels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we go out and see the, the, represent our country where we live, and you're representing your community and your state and your country and your, who you are, and you go out and you meet other people, they get a chance to see what, what America is also about and that why they've so been true. so dedicated to giving their lives from America to helping others. That is so no true. One and more when I engage in those kinds that. of conversations with people, uh, Sharon, it's uh, it's so evident of how powerful major media is. Uh, like in India, for example, I was living in the slums of Calcutta, India, uh, for a while, and people there say, "Well, you know, everybody in America lives in a mansion and drives a convertible." And I said, "Well, how do you know that?" And they said, well, "We watch Dallas on television." Yeah. And I said, no, that's not the way people are. They're, most of the people are, are like me or people who you know, are just uh, making a living, working in well, a factory. Well, my husband from Holland, Robert, when they came to America, they thought most Americans were more like Archie and Edith Bunker <laughs> from that television <laughs> show. <laughs> yes. And in Holland, they didn't think that people... Uh, through the years or have the money. They always thought because people were always into by television that they were struggling differently. Right. <laughs> but back to your new book now, uh, going to your book. Why did you decide okay. to title it Reclaiming Lives? Well, first I have to give credit to another author, and actually uh, it, this book originated with a woman named Rosalie Giffen-Yellow. And it is uh, her story, and that I helped her write. We are uh, Rosalie is the author of the book, but she uh, I contributed enough to the book and another enough help that she chose to put my name on the cover of the book also. So it's Reclaiming Lives by Rosalie Giffaniello with Robert M. Weir. And it is the story of her work to provide an education for children in the slums of Calcutta, India, or the city that is now known indigenously as Kolkata. And... um, She's an American teacher, a woman who uh, had worked in the New Jersey school systems uh, until she was uh, about 50 or so, and, and she's in her 60s now. So for the last, um, well, it was, it was 14 years ago, actually, she volunteered at Mother Teresa's facilities in Kolkata uh, for two summers. And in the, 
at the end of the second summer, she came back to America and said, you know, I need to give up my work here in the United States and go and do more to help the children over there. And so she co-founded an organization called Empower the Children. Uh, that's Empower the Children. And if people want to listen more or learn more about that, uh, it's online at empower-children.org empower-children.org, or just look up the words empower the children, but be sure if, if they just search for keywords empower the children, make sure you're talking or looking at the website for the organization that's located in New Jersey, America, because there are some other empowered children type organizations out now, there. Now, you went over <laughs> and spent some time in uh, Calcutta with her, didn't you, Doc, uh, Robert? Yes, I did. Rosalie came to me with a, uh, a rough manuscript of about 180 pages that was full of great dialogue and human interaction. And Rosalie's a people person, and she was able to capture the uh, the essence of the human interactions there in Kolkata. And, and she came to me with this manuscript, let's see, it would be in 2011, Yes, 2011, and and she'd been working there for nine years at that time, working with children in about eight or nine different schools, and so she knew the people, and she captured that very well, but Rosalie's one of these people who doesn't, uh, I describe the sense of place very well. She's more of a human, a people person. And so as I read her manuscript, I said, well, what are, what's it like there? What's the environment? What's the water? What's the, the pollution? Which I knew the Kolkata is a huge city. There's 16 million people there. And she said, well, you know, it's sort of like this. And, and so we determined after a little bit of conversation that the best way for me to help her was to go there and experience the environment that she had been experiencing. And in effect, you know, she had cast the characters in her book. She had the people there, but I built the stage. I wrote maybe 20, 25% of the book that is the backdrop, the scenery, the description of uh, what the city is like. It's, I mean, the population density of 4,500 people, or it should be 45,000 people per square mile. You know, just that, and, and what's it like? What's the, the sound of all of the traffic uh, and, and horning? or honking, as we would say, is like a popular driver's trait there, that people will honk their horns in, in an attempt to make the streetlight change. Of course, it's not going to do that uh, just because somebody horns their, their horn. And, and just oh, all of the, the, the physical description. I wrote that part of Reclaiming Lives and created this platform on which her characters could then come to life. Now, when you're reclaiming lives... What is her? What was her focus to the audience to read it? That meant she was looking at how they could become more individualized as people, and and uh, they could become more to reclaim their own individuality. Is that, was that what it is, Robert? Well, there's to answer that question, we need to look at the economic factors in the slums of Kolkata, and where. 
most of the parents of the children in these schools are, let's say, they're, they're workers, but not workers the way we define them here in the United States, but in very cheap labor, let's say. Uh, WALA is the term they use, W-A-L-L-A-H. And, for example, many of them are rickshaw wallas. That is, they pull the fathers might pull a rickshaw by hand. And, you know, of course, a rickshaw is a two-wheeled cart with a couple of forks sticking out in the front and uh, you know, long arms like you might slide a horse into if it were a carriage. But it's, mm-hmm. there's no horse. It's pulled by a human being, a father mm-hmm. of, of the children in these schools. The mothers are often housemaids, but again, not in the same way that we might have a a maid or a cleaning lady who comes in, but somebody who is really a a, a meager servant uh, in the home of somebody who can afford to have a maid. And how much are they making? Did you, in the book, did it discuss, let's say, the individual who uh, has a job pulling the rickshaw? How many hours a day does that person pull the rickshaw as, a, as an occupation? And how much are they getting paid in equivalent of American money? That's an excellent question. The, uh, the number of hours that any rickshaw walla might choose to work would be somewhat dependent upon them and, and when they go to work and how long they, they work and, and what time they end the, their day. Uh, really depends on them. Many of them kind of sort of sleep on the walleye if they choose to take a break during the day. The amount of money that they bring in depends upon how many people they pull and how much those people might want to pay. Uh, I, I have written in a rickshaw walla only sparingly. I've done so to capture some video for the experience of it. Uh, and also, when I was traveling to an airport um, and needed to go to the taxi stand, uh, I've used a, a, a rickshaw because I had my luggage and the sidewalks over there are very hard to walk on. Uh, but So to be pulled for maybe five minutes, a person might earn 10 rupees, which is the equivalent of about a quarter. Mm-hmm. So, and we generally paid them more than that. I mean, maybe 20 or 30 rupees, which is still not very much. And, you know, they might then, after they're pulling somebody for five or 10 or 15 minutes, they might sit for an hour or two or three hours before somebody else comes along and wants now, to ride. Now, do they own their own rickshaw or they're doing it for somebody else's business? You know, that's a great question. I wish I would have asked it myself. I don't know the answer to that. Okay, and then um, now let's say she's uh, an, an individual becomes a maid. Does she live in in as a maid, or does she go to work every day as a maid? Uh, that also depends on whether or not they, she goes to work or lives uh, in the home. It, it, mm-hmm. Either scenario is possible, and both mm-hmm. scenarios do exist over there. It depends upon the arrangement that the woman has with uh, their with her employer. So what do the average men do every day to earn a living for their family? There's a lot of different trades over there in in the city of Calcutta. And in fact, the people are quite ingenious. And it's amazing how they can, uh, and and they're very entrepreneurial. There are Mm -hmm. folks who sell uh, fruit on the streets Mm-hmm. And uh, with a, like a small stand, mm-hmm. they can then fold up at the end of each day, and, um, and so you don't at nighttime you don't even see that they're there, or had been there. 
Oh, gosh. There are folks who um, have different things for sale uh, in the in the uh, slum where Rosalie maintains a flat. Every day there are three or four vendors who come through uh, selling pots and pans, uh, selling dust, uh, uh, like feather dusters or rags to be used for pillow stuffing. And each one of them has their own song. Or maybe there are a few of them that carry a stringed instrument, a very simple stringed instrument that goes twang, twang. And so that's their way of calling out to the people in their homes and say, I'm here. I'm here in your neighborhood. Your traveling door-to-door salesman is walking through. Do you need any rags for your pillows today? Do you need any feather dusters? Do you need any pots Mm -hmm. and pans? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I've gotten to know tailors who have a shop. I mean, there's a very fine industry of of uh, men's clothing and women's clothing available, both Western-style clothing as well as, uh, especially for the women, uh, saris and uh, salwar kameezas, which are like pantsuits, but not the way we wear them in the U.S. Uh, there's just a whole variety. But what's really well, interesting, in, though, in is... In the homes now, for the book's title, The Reclaiming of Lives, the focus oh, that she okay. had on... Uh, the fact that she went into this area of India to study what, they, what do we can do for us to mention in a, in a book that these people are living their lives uh, with where, where was her focus? I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can understand that. Yes, and I did ramble a little bit about the economy. No, 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 no. that's okay. So, I think so, the listeners really so enjoyed it. And talk about the title, it, we do need to relate and understand the economy. And that is that right. education is the way out. The, the education is the way out of the slums. Because if a child can receive an education and, and then pass their uh, grade 10 exams, and they're allowed mm-hmm. to go on to grades 11 and 12, if they pass mm-hmm. those exams, then they can go on to a college or a trade school. And then with that education or that equivalent of a degree, they can be hired by a corporation who doesn't care where they came from, doesn't care what their parents you know, did or do for a living. So that's where Reclaiming Life comes in, to true okay. education, okay. the power of education, to get some people out of the slums. And it's like, well, to just read a little passage from the cover of the book, it says, In Reclaiming Lives, Rosalie Giffen-Yellow overcomes her personal struggles of insecurity and dependency and finds her identity by providing educational opportunities for destitute children who live in the slums of Kolkata, India. Each page abounds with hope, inspiration, and fulfillment for countless children who reclaim their lives through Rosalie's mm-hmm. determination as she joyously reclaims her own. So there, there's, there's a two-part message here in her book. It's about her work and others like her. I mean, she doesn't work alone. There's, there's a cadre of people she's connected with over there, Indians as well as now, some other people, people in the Western world. Now, does she bring people from out of the United and, States and, to assist as volunteers to help her with uh, the children? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there are both uh, paid Indian administrators and teachers mm-hmm. there. Uh, who are paid through Rosalie's organization, Empower the Children. But there are also countless other uh, volunteers who come 
And, and, you know, if you or any of your listeners want to go to Kolkata, India, uh, you can contact me through my website, and I can put you in touch with Rosalie, and you could go over there and visit some of her schools for mm-hmm. one or two days or a week or any short period of time that you might want to invest in that endeavor and go into the school, see the children, and, and there are like, 70 to 90 children sitting in a space. I was going to ask you how many children are at at a time in the school. Now, when when she goes in and she's working with the children, does she start out with them where they're at a certain age and they grow together throughout uh, a period of time where these same children are with her for a period of time? Yes, that is true. The children who attend these schools, and again, imagine these 70 to 90 children in a right. room the size of a, of a, of a two-car garage sitting on the floor, and they will range in this one room, the age range will be from like 5 to 15 or 16, okay. and they're all at a different point. And unlike our Western school system where children you know, go, through, go to kindergarten at age 4 or 5 and they go into first grade at age Six and you know and right. so on. There are some children who might be nine or ten or twelve who uh, go to school for the first time because their right. parents finally decided, like, okay, now I want my child to get an education. And they're all in this mix together with two, gonna, maybe three. Robert, teachers. we're going to take a moment with our sponsor, and we're going to come back and and, and you're going to teach us about. Uh, those children and uh, where they're coming from, and we'll learn more about the population of India and what what some of the challenges have been with how many children there are that are needing this. Uh, Don't go anywhere, Robert. We're going to be right back. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist to supplement the eye. In fact, when I've been sitting here on the show, I use the mist because my eyes get dry and drowsy and and, and, and challenged, challenged, well, all I have to do is mist with Nature's Tears Eye Mist of Tissue Culture Grade of Water. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Robert Ware. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. 
Robert, um, you were talking about the children, and that is the focus of of what is happening in China, uh, not in China, excuse me, in uh, India. Now, India has, what is the population of India? India, as a total nation, has a population of, uh, I think it's 2.1 billion people. Uh, Two? I thought it was 1.2. Excuse me. It's 1.2 billion people, yes. Okay. About one-eighth of okay. the world's population and not too far behind uh, China in yeah, population. Right. Well, China is 1.3 billion. Yes. Now, in Correct. China, Thank you. Thank you. maybe you won't know this, but how many uh, are children? I don't know that answer. Um, but I would imagine you, that the again, uh, I have a little familiarity to ch- India uh, okay. of... Of of the, of the population and their lives and the children, um, in the ch- when there's the children, because they don't have any birth control, when a family has too many children, they're they're uh, sending them to live in special lo- uh, schools, aren't they? Well, some might. Uh, that's not the case for Rosalie's uh, children in the city of, of Calcutta uh-huh. or Kolkata because those you know, parents don't have enough money for uh, to send their children away to another school. But uh, So perhaps in other parts of the city for wealthier people or other parts of India, that might be true. I don't have any experience in regard to that because that's okay. not what I experienced at Rosalie's schools. Yeah, so Rosalie's schools, the children go home every night. Yes, they do, and, and for many yes, of them, the only or the meal, the hot meal they received in at her school every noontime is the only hot meal, or maybe the only meal, cold or hot, that those children receive because their parents may not have the money for uh, buying a chicken or or rice that particular night or making some dal. Mhm. Mhm. So her the money just, that comes to the power of the children uh, to. Empower the children comes from contributions from India or the United States. The uh, money that's donated to empower the children comes from the Western world. Uh, many, most of the people are in uh, New Jersey or California, where okay. Rosalie has uh, many long-term connections. But she's also made connections with people in Scotland and Denmark and some mm-hmm. other partnerships with uh, mm-hmm. organizations like Seeds India or Seeds uh, Japan. And so that the money is basically coming from the Western world, maybe a little bit from the Orient, but uh, very little from Indian people. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I've known that. In fact, uh, it's always kind of surprised me a little bit because India does so well economically at the top in their country. And I've often yes. wondered if, uh, if, because there's the population, and that's something, Robert, I've never looked into. Uh, in the population, if 1.2 billion people, how many of the population are children? Because there are no end of schools out there where children do not live at home because the family can only have so many children living at home, and uh, the, the, there are children who go live full-time in a school. And they're also being uh, taken care of by uh, contributions and, and um, Christian organizations around the world to be able to have yes. a school to live in. 
You, you are correct in that. And again, I don't know the uh, the numbers, but I will mention that I've had an experience with a uh, church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I've lived much of my life. And that church uh, funds a, a, a mission school in a city, oh, about maybe two or three hours by train outside of Kolkata. And I went mm-hmm. there for one weekend. And some of those children uh, do live in the school full-time in a dormitory. And and others do live in an immediate area and walk to school. So, yes, I do have a little bit of experience without knowing quantitative data of what you're speaking about, Sharon. You know, I've never looked into it. And um, um, just to, I'm going to have my secretary, Bonnie, look up India and population and how many children, Bonnie, live in India. But I'll have to tell you my experience, Robert. I have a granddaughter who now is 26, but... Three weeks after her high school graduation, she was the host of her graduation uh, ceremonies during the graduation. She had already decided a few weeks before she was going to go to India, and she had inherited a little money, and she chose to fly her away with an organization out of Texas to go to India to a school and volunteer her time for a month. And Robert, I was a little startled because I thought, oh, my gosh, here's this high school girl who never had traveled out of the country, and she's going to go do this all on her own with this group that I had never met or mother hadn't met. So I called them up, and I talked to the people she was going to go with, and I asked the individual, are you going with her? He said, oh, yes, we're going with these students that are going. So I said, well, could you give me the phone number of where she'll be? And Robert, I didn't want to interfere. My husband and I got her to the airport in Portland, Oregon. We made sure she had all the, of course, Robert, you're going to probably laugh. I made sure she had more than she needed of filters to filter the water to drink, to make sure she would drink enough safe water. And every morning, her time, I was calling exactly the same moment, and the nun would answer the phone, and Robert, it got to where, Michaela, your mother is on the, your grandmother is on the phone again. (laughs) All the time she was there. I only called once a day, Robert. Lasted just a moment. She came to the phone. How are you? But uh, she had quite an experience, and she just loved it. She's... um, had her laptop computer, and she uh, had her CDs, and uh, she'd play Disney music and Disney movies for all the kids, Robert. And the night she left, they put on a big celebration for her, and even the nuns were dancing to the Disney music, and they were watching. They rented a a large television so that she could put it on the TV so the kids could have a larger screen for the celebration of the Disney movies before she left. (laughs) That's great. But uh, there's no end of children in all over the world, all over the world, uh, that need attention. And in India, the, there's we've seen a movie not too many years ago about what is happening to children. They won an Academy Award. Uh, what is happening to the children in India? And I'm embarrassed I forget the name of the movie, but it was to show what happens to the lives of children. In India. Yes, 
Yes, and that's what Rosalie's trying to tell in her book. And and I write blogs that people can read if they want to contact me through my website. And uh, and just through this concept of peace through understanding. And I admire what your granddaughter did because she went out and she experienced another culture. And and I think you were wise to make sure that she had water filters there because, you know, especially with your passion for water, unfortunately the water in much of India, or at least in the big cities, is not safe for those of us with Western stomachs to drink. So we always filtered our water or or, um, bought bottled water because, well, Mm -hmm. you know, the alternative is to have an upset stomach or diarrhea. Right. And, and if your body gets yes. used to the bacteria and you live there from birth, you you're, it won't be the same. Now, tell us but, a, a little bit of, of, I've seen pictures, I've never been there, of the lifestyle on the streets. <laughs> oh, it's congested. It's it's crowded. Um there's a certain amount of uh, disorderliness. Um, of, I think it comes from a mindset of just wanting to be at the head of the line without realizing that no one can ever know where the head of the line is. There's just a, this feeling of wanting to get past someone or, or to outdo someone that shows up and driving, uh, and to some extent with walking. The, uh, and yet there's also a tremendous entrepreneurial spirit to make a living doing something on the streets, uh, whether it's, it's picking out bottles and uh, plastic bottles and taking them back for some kind of recycling, not necessarily because it's environmentally a good thing to do, but right. it's economically necessary. But to get some type of return on a financial, uh, helping financially to pay for the food that day or something. That's correct. That's correct. There's now, a certain I, amount real of... quickly, Robert, excuse me for interrupting, but I had my secretary, Bonnie, look up the population of India is well over 1.2 billion, but it shows on one site 440 million children. 440 million out of 1.2 billion. So that's about one-third the population is under what age, Sharon? We didn't get that. Uh, we, but next time I ever do a show like this, I never would have thought of it. Um, but um, we didn't do that here just now. But, I, you know, for some reason, Robert, I just feel that those figures might be old because I, I've heard that the children keep increasing in the population uh, but again, it, uh, it, 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 it's, we're going we're gonna to just assume probably all ages because uh, there's no end of these schools that are in, in India that um, for the children to go live full time. They don't live mm-hmm. at home anymore. And there's, um, the Indian population is changing then because of so much uh, influence from the younger people. You do see more young people, once they have an education, if they're able to get out of the slums the, or, or if they didn't come from the slums in the first place, those young people are technologically oriented. Some of them are the people who uh, are talking to us when we dial uh, a toll-free helpline right. for some of the right. utility services. That we, services, right. right. And a lot of that is occurring in 
southern India in the area around Bangalore, which is not really close to Calcutta. But still, you see the influence of cell phones. Uh, there are very few landlines in, uh, in India, but just about everybody has a cell phone, even folks who you might be surprised that uh, maybe they couldn't afford one, but they've got a yeah, cell phone. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Robert, because on the newscasts we're seeing in um, these countries of the world where there's war all around them, and they're carrying cell phones, and you wonder yes. how they're affording it. Well, it, it's really a matter so of... So in, in uh, India, I'm, you see a lot of cell phones, and you're probably wondering how they could afford to have a cell phone. There are a couple of tricks that they can use. You know, pay in advance with just a little bit of money, and then call somebody they know who has money, and before that other person answers, hang up. And, of course, it comes through as a, as a missed call, but you can tell who called. And so if you've got the money, like Rosalind and I do, then we call back to the person. Okay. And that doesn't cost the person who made the call, who wanted okay. to speak with us, any money except mm-hmm. for the, the fact of having bought the phone. But, again, you can buy phones uh, on the street for not too many rupees. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there, there are just ways for them. They're very ingenious people. I, I've often mm-hmm. felt that they don't have the infrastructure that we have. They don't have the cables, the underground cables or the overhead uh, hanging telephone lines like we do, but they do have an ingenious characteristic that if there were ever a societal meltdown where our infrastructure or the world infrastructure uh, was destroyed, the ingeniousness of the people on the street in India and I presume other countries or other cities too would uh, they, they could tinker something together in ways that used to be a popular way of thinking and tinkering in our country, but is less mm-hmm. so today. Well, we're so dependent on, um, well, you know, I look at it, Robert, and the world can hear this. I'm an all-American-born person in Oregon, and I look yes. at my country, and I'm in my 70s, and I look through the years, at what we learned to depend upon. And we lost, we, we, nowadays, in fact, you may have heard me discussing in my commentary about the word responsibilities, that we take responsibility for who we are, what we need, and how we learn what we need to achieve or our health and, and life around us. We're not taking any responsibility. We became robots. Mm-hmm. I've often felt like the difference between the Western world, and especially in Michigan or other parts where I've been in the U.S., and Calcutta, India, is not a difference between here and there or between West and East. It's a difference between uh, then and now. I see people in India now living the way that I lived when I was a boy and I'm in my 60s or the way I hear I heard my mother and father or my grandparents talk about when they were younger or they're in their midlife. And mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of, well, development. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about developed countries and underdeveloped countries. And that's what I see as the difference. It's not a matter of East and West. It's here or it's then and now. Well, and a fascination that our forefathers had such a foresight of coming from the rest of the world and becoming a melting pot in this continent. Then all of a sudden they decided to do something very unusual 
to d- divide us into 50 different little countries. And those 50 mm-hmm. little countries that we're all living in called states uh, became very uniquely how other countries are living out there per country, but we're living within, like I'm sure you're very comfortable living in the state you're in. And the state you're yes. in is making sure that you're taken care of the within the borders and how your lifestyle is and your uniqueness and you all maybe have a, people have so much in common even within your own state. And our country is so de- uh, separated and people in our country forget that we're like the countries around the world. They have their borders. They have their lifestyle. And you go into a country like India that is so massive geographically and then the age of the country is so much older than the United States of America. They've been there for yes. so long trying to build their uh, culture, their economy, and lifestyle today. today. And then you have this book now calling Reclaiming Life. In other words, re- try to claim the lifestyle and then showing the children and, and, and what she's trying to do, how to claim a life that they may want to have choices in and go forward and become an adult, mature in life, and then be able to become responsible to taking care of yourself. And Sharon, I'm glad that you brought the conversation back to Reclaiming Lives because I want your listeners to know that there's really a two-part message within uh, that book. And one of them we've talked about, well, how Rosalie and people she works with are helping to reclaim the lives of the children. But there's also a story here that I think is profound for people in our country, whether they're men or women, in their 50s or 60s, because there's also the message here of Rosalie who, who at age 50 chose to walk away from a secure job in New Jersey school system and go to another country to help those children there. And she was going through a divorce at that time. She was going through what we've come to call sort of like a midlife crisis. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so she claimed her own life, her own desire to go out and, and live the life she wanted by helping children in, uh, in the slums of another city. And so there's an inspirational side to reclaiming lives for people in the Western world that if we want to feel like we want to do more with our lives in the second half of those lives, there, it can be done whether male or female, whether alone or with a group, a church affiliation or a civic group, the Rotary Club or whatever, there are ways to go out and make a difference in the world and reclaim the joy that comes from helping other people. The United States is amazing to me, Robert, all the generosity and the concerns and the open-mindedness of life on the, the earth is so objective to what people's you know, I have this prayer, freedom of worship and prayer and peace. Peace mm-hmm. with integrity, respect, and dignity. Um, it, it's uh, this country of what it does for the world. And where else in the world do you have a volunteer soldiers of going out to the world and sacrificing for somebody else's freedoms and peace and dignity to be respected? for what you believe is, is the way you want to live on our planet and live with others. It is yes. amazing. And what you did and what she's doing, 
the book. Um, but again, we only have a moment left, and um, you want to uh, tell us how to find uh, the book. Yes, again. I do. The title again is Reclaiming Lives, and the author is Giffaniello, Rosalie Giffaniello. I won't try to spell it. It just begins with a G. Or, but if you search for Reclaiming Lives, we're, my, la- my name, and maybe the, wrote the word Rosalie, uh, you'll find it on Amazon.com. It's a lo- downloadable as an ebook in both the Nook world and the Kindle world, and it's also a print-on-demand book uh, through Amazon.com. Or contact me through my website of robertmweir.com, W-E-I-R, and, or, or contact um, or visit Rosalie's organization, empower-children.org. That's empower the children or empower-children.org. Well, we thank you for joining us again, and you keep up the good work. And I know you've been traveling the world, and you've very much been learning about what's going on out there in our planet. And I thank you for all you're doing. And you tell her, too. I really, really appreciate uh, what you're both doing. Well, thank you very much, Sharon. It's you a have pleasure a nice to day, talk Robert, you. and you be well. Okay. Bye-bye Bye. now. Wow. Um, we all can sit and listen to the world out there and what is happening throughout the world, of all the people throughout the world that are giving their lives to help other people to live with freedom of worship, prayer, peace, with dignity, respect, integrity, and value the life of every single person. I always say, embrace your life. it, It is your life, but it also embrace somebody else's life. It is so important to give back, pay it forward, but earth whispers. Don't ever say goodbye. Leave something of yourself behind so that generations that come for children, they'll understand that you cared. And we all know the most important part of our lives is the power of water. It's in the water for life to live and be healthy. We're all willing to learn that together. I want to thank you for listening. You have a nice day, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.